The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, FA Cup. Sheffield on fire as Spurs failed to put out the blades and hail Captain Haddock with Mariners sailing past Saints. We check out the fifth round of midweek action. Fulham with Solomon scoring in his usual manner. Arsenal going five points clear. Liverpool's latest comeback bid and its chances of surviving a visit this weekend from Manchester United. All those hot topics and more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday, the 2nd of March, excitingly. Listener, thank you so much for joining us today. Our Totally Football Show lineup is Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Jack Lang is also with us. Good morning. And uh, joining us from Liverpool, Kiva O'Neill. Hello, Kiva. Hello, thanks for having me. Not at all. It's a pleasure. You're actually the second O'Neill we've had in a week. Any relation? No, I do get asked that quite a lot. Do you? But when I was. About to come on the podcast, said how long since you've had a, you know, O'Neill, I've got to, got to get that into me contract. We've got to be on, you know, at least <laughs> once a week. Is it a common surname, Kiva? Yeah, I think it is, to be fair. I think so too. All right, oh, also joining us, uh, Peter Rutzler to talk Fulham and Adrian Clark. I wonder what he'll be talking about. Uh, oh, here's a question from Q, the enigmatically named Q, who says, I hope the pod can briefly salute the late, great, Just Fontaine, Just Fontaine, who passed away yesterday, I believe, mm. the age of 89. What a what a life he had. I mean, we all know the incredible record that he set in 1958, Jack. That's right, the 13 goals in a single World Cup. It'll never be touched. Uh, put that in perspective, Kylian Mbappe, he scored 12, but that was across two tournaments. Just did it in, in just one. 13 goals in six matches from, apparently, only 18 shots, Duncan. Mm. Decent. He uh, invented say. XG. Just XG. No, it doesn't work. Um, he's an interesting. I mean, I'm quite glad he, he lived to see this the latest World Cup because um, he was born in Morocco. He managed mm. both France and Morocco in his career. Mm. Um, also managed Paris Saint-Germain back in he, the 70s. when He they brought were. them up to the first division. Yeah. Shortly after they were formed, the day uh, after Alan Shearer, as Jules loves to hear. <laughs> Magnificent. 30 goals in 21 games with the national side. His career stats are 289 goals in 305 matches, which is just ridiculous. Took Reims, Reims sorry, to the 59 European Cup final against Real Madrid, which they lost. Anyway, what a life he lived. Uh, also running in, Gregory Thomas... I was listening to the Totally Football Show complaining about cold weather footy. Uh, I've got an extra ticket for the Toronto home opener if anybody wants. That's ne next Saturday. It's going to be uh, minus six, real film minus 15. What's the coldest match you've ever been at, Kiva? How was last night, actually? Are the right, so, under 19s. Yeah. Liverpool's academy in Kirby has its own climate and it's always raining. It's just like you, you drive there and you drive into the rain every single time but yeah I was at the academy last night for I think probably the best game of Wednesday night to be honest um the game itself wasn't great 1-1 Liverpool versus Porto in the UEFA Youth League last 16 goes straight to penalties and then that's where the drama obviously unfolded Luis Diaz's little brother G uh, Jesus Diaz came off the bench for Porto and took the fifth penalty didn't get a kick in the last couple of minutes of the game missed his penalty, which could have won it for Porto and effectively ended Liverpool's trophy hopes as a club for the season. Obviously misses the penalty, then eventually Liverpool sort of um, clamber back and, and win the shootout and then obviously celebrating because Porto have just missed and there was just this like mass brawl. There was a fight. It was just like just a crazy ending to the game. Was, was Lewis there to see his younger brother? I don't think so because Liverpool kicked off about 20 minutes after and I think even though he's injured and I think a couple of weeks away from, from getting back, so Liverpool fans hope, um, I think he would have been at Anfield rather than watching mm. his little brother, unfortunately for him, miss that penalty. Yeah, uh, when you say this is Liverpool's last chance of a trophy this season, quite the thought that. Uh, what, what are their prospects? They have a good uh, ch youth Champions League outfit. Yeah, I mean, last night was a bit of a up and down performance but I feel like towards the, the end of the game they look definitely on top. A player who um, I don't know if people have seen him yet or 
Um, one to maybe keep an eye on is Ben Doak because, I mean, Liverpool don't really have many right wingers, actually, come to think of it. They're quite maybe overstocked on the left um, at the minute, but um, obviously you don't need many because you've got Mohamed Salah there, but Ben Doak's one working his way up through the academy. It's his first season. He has already played for the first team, but a little injury recently. Um, I think he got a couple of goals at the weekend, a couple of assists. He's just, he arrived from Celtic and he's just, yeah, the absolute business. I think they were like, he did three turns last night, you know, he just get the ball and turn away from people and sort of like, there's about 200 people watching and we all sort of did the same noise every time. It was like, ooh, you know, like that was good. So yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the players to watch from that young team. Excellent. Niall Smith was writing and saying, are there any potential bolsters from the academy or under 23 sides like Bajatic uh, that Liverpool could call him? Is, is he one who you think Klopp might be? Uh, eyeing up for a, a first-team place at some point. Definitely. I mean, he's forced his way into it. I don't think at the start of the season, Liverpool would have imagined, you know, he would be sort of there in contention. But his performances have just been really, really good, solid. He just looks so creative. And I think the lack and maybe that competition for Salah at times. But you say that Salah doesn't really ever miss a game. So it's kind of a tricky one, isn't it? But yeah, I think at the moment, you look at obviously Liverpool last night starting Besetic again in midfield with Harvey Elliott. It's, I think it's helpful to play younger players. It kind of brings that... Um, you know that average age down, which has you know been creeping up incrementally over the past few seasons, and you know maybe one of the reasons this season why Liverpool have uh, dipped so much. Mm. All right, uh, Liverpool winning two nil against Wolves Wednesday night in a comparatively less interesting game on Merseyside. Apparently, uh, we're going to check next on uh, the midweek action though in the FA Cup. Woo. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by Live Score Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. FA Cup fifth round. Tuesday, Brighton beat Stoke City 1-0. Leicester lost 2-1 at home to Blackburn Rovers. Fulham beat Leeds 2-0 with Manor Solomon scoring again. The exact same goal that he done against Wolves. Man City won 3-0 at Bristol City with a beauty from De Bruyne and Phil Foden looking back to his best. On Wednesday, a League 2 Grimsby Town reached the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time in 84 years, beating Saints 2-1 at Saints. Championship leaders Burnley were 1-0 winners against Fleetwood Town. Manchester United had a trademark flurry of late goals to come from behind against West Ham. And at Bramall Lane, a goal from NJ saw Sheffield United beat Tottenham Hotspur 1-0. Crikey. Well, one or two upsets there. None bigger, though, Duncan, than the magnificent Mariners. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, one of those one of those kind of FA Cup ties that if you're going to be a League 1 or League 2 team, obviously Grimsby are kind of lower mid-table in League 2 at the moment, um, and get to this stage, then you, you're not going to dominate matches. You are going to scrape through fortuitously. And that essentially is what happened. You know, a couple of penalties... You know, at least one of them maybe a bit fortunate. Southampton had a couple of goals ruled out by VAR. So, you know, the magic of VAR kicking in. It's a, mm. It can be good. Um, yeah, and, and Grimsby had four shots overall in the game, whereas um, Southampton had 22. So it was a smash and grab. But, you know, in the annals of Grimsby Town history, that doesn't matter because they're through to the, the quarterfinals, as you say, for the first time since 1939. And it, mm. was, it was the contrast, wasn't it? Southampton's fans barely turned up they were quiet looked morose the the away end in comparison was absolutely rammed with both people and inflatable fish inflatable fish harry the haddock yeah four thousand uh grimbarians i wasn't aware that that's what a native of grimsby is known as but yeah making the journey as you said a couple of spot kicks the second very unfortunate from southampton's point of view when chaletta Saar gave a kind of tap to the back of a Grimsby player, and, and down he went. Yeah, Danilo Orsi. Mm. Which I, yeah, I don't watch a great deal of Football League uh, action, but it's still quite a novelty to me to see the name of a player and actually the style of a player who plays like kind of a mid-90s non-goal-scoring forward. But yeah, just received the punch from <laughs> Kaletazar. <laughs> went down beautifully. And yeah, I mean, self-sabotage by Saints, really, yeah. because both of the penalties were incredibly stupid mm. Got some tips from the world's best goalkeeper Martinez now Orsi's gone down Omni is back in pain Chiletta Saar 
pleading his innocence in the situation. Well, I, I saw it. Chaleta sat. He's given a penalty. No, it He's is given a, a penalty. penalty. It's stupidity from his centre back. Now, whether it's enough to make him go down, I would hazard a guess and say no. Hollahan, which way? The right way, because it's in the back of the net again. Terrific for Grimsby Town. Grimsby go through and they have drawn in the quarterfinals. Oh, another trip down south to Brighton this time around. Yeah, it's um, it's a good tie for both clubs, I think. Obviously, Grimsby get another a Premier League team. Possibly they could win that game, but you'd expect Brighton to. Brighton, I think, given where they are in the league, I think Brighton really should be aiming to win the FA Cup this season. They, they know they can beat City and United are probably the two best teams left in the competition. Mm. Um, you know, they're basically three games from doing that. And I think it would be, if we expect some of the Brighton team to get signed in the summer and, you know, even to Zerbi to get snapped up at some point. By Chelsea, I read. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, I think this Brighton team deserves some some silverware to kind of honour their, their performances this last few seasons. So, They'll be um, favourites, but Grimsby are the first team in FA Cup history to eliminate five teams from a higher division within a season. In the competition proper, they did Plymouth Argyle first off 5-1, then Cambridge United, then Burton Albion, then Luton Town, and now Saints. Will, yeah. will the Seagulls be next for the Haddock? It's Seagulls v Fish, one of the uh, the most ancient battles of all. So yeah. um, A lot of... We'll see. A little bit of history there. All right, Kiva, what did you did you watch anything from the FA Cup on Tuesday before your trip to the, uh, the Youth League action? I think I caught um, Man City's goals. Nice. And, yeah, I caught the end of Man United's game, obviously with a big game, I think, on Sunday in mind. Just thought, I'll, I'll keep an eye on them. Yeah, well, the, the, you, you caught the right bit of the, of the Man United-West Ham game. Uh, Eric Ten Hag had made several changes to his side with Rashford, Casemiro, uh, Varane and Martinez all benched. But Casemiro then duly dusted off and brought on when things took a turn for the worse with Ben Rama opening the scoring 54 minutes in. 13 minutes to go, United were heading out. But then there was that own goal from Aguero and then, oh my word, that strike from Alejandro Garnacho. I presume you were across that, Kiva. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best thing about that goal was as soon as the ball sort of was in his vicinity, you were like... I know exactly what he's going to do. And he's such a young player, but you already know exactly what he's going to do. I think that speaks for his talent, doesn't it? He's, you know, got the ability to win games. And the way he just sort of opened it up and put it into the corner, you just, yeah, straight away, as soon as he hit it, it was like, yep. I mean, before he hit it, you were like, yep, this is going in. I think the, I guess the worrying thing for Liverpool fans right now is the, and probably fans of, of other clubs in the league, is the the word inevitability. I didn't think we were going to be using it with Man United this season. I thought it was Erling Haaland's word um, that we would just use about him and Arsenal. Also, I guess you were using it about them now, but yeah, using it about United a lot more. There's an inevitability to them that they will win games, even leaving it late as they did against West Ham. Aiming towards Rashford, away by again, comes back to Van Horst. He's got by again, again. Now Garnacho. Trophy first does not appear to be quenched by just the Carabao Cup. It was a very Kiko Makeda goal, I thought. Really reminiscent of that famous one. But I think Garnacho has enough to not be one of these kind of transient, uh, you know, shines for a couple of months young players. I thought he was really good last night, not just the goal. We know about his kind of his pace, his, his very brave dribbling. Ability. But his first touch is really good. Like he took a couple of high balls down and his first touch just instantly took him into space. Very, very impressive. And a word also just for the celebrations of Wout Weghorst because he's he's just an iconic player at the moment. What did he do this time? Uh, just He seems to just exude like, God, he's what, loving it, what am I doing here? This is, mm. this is wicked. And actually, in, on the final goal, I mean, he his pressing kind of forced the error for Fred's goal. Uh, and then he slid along the floor and then Lissandro Martinez basically slides in. He's like fully clocked him with his studs and Vegas was down for a couple of seconds. <laughs> but just someone who's, I mean, you know, perhaps slightly out of his depth talent-wise. And, and yet he's a bit of a catalyst ev- for the team. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, he looks so happy, doesn't he? I mean, if you go to the end of the season, him and Ronaldo will have done half a season each, and I think I think Veghorst will have made much more of an impact on that side. I think we saw last night that probably that if United have their first eleven out, they're probably the best team in the country right now. But that is pretty much limited to eleven or twelve players, and and we saw that against West Ham. But unfortunately for Liverpool, they're they're not going to be resting anyone on on Sunday. Mm. Talk more about that game very very shortly. Other Quarterfinal games coming up include Man City taking on Championship favourite Burnley, managed, of course, by the former Man City skipper Vincent Company, who spent 11 years there collecting all sorts of trophies under under Pep. It's going to be an mm-hmm. intense hug between Pep mm. and Company at that game. Yeah, could break records. Nice. Uh, Man United, meanwhile, will be taking on Fulham, who beat Leeds. We'll have a proper chat with uh, Peter later on about Fulham. What else? Oh, uh, Sheffield United are through after defeating Spurs with their only shot on target. It was Sheffield United's B team as well, manager Paul Heckenbottom making eight changes because they've got a big game against Blackburn coming up at the weekend. Spurs, who pretty much controlled the match, had rested Kane as well. They made one or two changes themselves. But for all their dominance in possession, unable to fashion proper chances, Andy, Andy Norgate says, is it time to question Richarlison? 62 million and two goals, question mark. What do you think? Uh, well, we did a podcast about this on the Tottenham pod uh, a few days ago. And I mean, there are mitigating circumstances. He's had a couple of injuries. And I, I actually think it's just quite a difficult role. He's either replacing Son or Kane and... When he replaces Son, it's not particularly his position out wide. When he replaces Kane, he's a different kind of centre-forward to Kane, so the team doesn't quite uh, serve him in the same way. I think he's a really good player, but yeah, it hasn't worked out so far. Um, You know, I think even just in terms of personal relations, he's someone who really needs an arm around his shoulder. He's done his best work uh, when that has been the case at Fluminense for the Brazil team, um, also at uh, at Everton and Watford under Marco Silva, who was really uh, kind of paternalistic with him. Don't think he has the same kind of thing with Conte. And Conte doesn't often rotate. He's come into the side in the last few weeks, but he's actually not really had many minutes. So maybe shouldn't be overly surprising that he hasn't found his feet yet. Mm. Paul Herkingbottom, resting players in this game because they got Blackburn at the weekend. Who have they drawn in the quarterfinals? Oh, it's only Blackburn. Only Blackburn again. Yeah. Um, it was funny that Sheffield United win in the sense that Stuart McCall, obviously the, the assistant manager, um, a midweek FA Cup game with Stuart McCall involved, very reminiscent of When Saturday Comes, the Sean Bean film, which Ooh. erroneously um, pitched Sheffield United against Manchester United in an FA Cup semi-final at Bramall Lane, which you know goes against a lot of rules. But yeah, I think Sheffield United are a very good side and it's just another missed opportunity for Spurs. Um, mm. Their most recent trophy is now... Closer to the first episode of Supermarket Sweep than it is to now, which is haunting. Are you ready to go shopping? Step inside a very special supermarket. The only supermarket in the world that gives you money. When was that, Duncan? Just for uh, anyone who's not across the timeline. of Okay. So their, their most recent trophy was, was obviously 2008, the, the League Cup, but that's now closer to, to mm. Dale Winton's um, first episode. Right. That was one under one day Ramos. Will they win another cup perhaps one day? Mm. Mm. Excellent. All right, that's enough on the FA Cup for now. It'll be back soon enough for the weekend of March 18th and 19th uh, will be when the quarterfinal fixtures will be played. Maybe a day or two either, either side, the way that they schedule these things. The semifinals and final are going to be at Wembley, of course, with the... Ooh, the final's taking place on Saturday, June the 3rd. Have that tradition. Boom. Ooh, two games are played Wednesday in the Premier League. Six goals were scored, none of them. Live on TV. However much money you paid, we'll discover what happened, though, next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScoreBet. With BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL and around the world. 
So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, midweek in the Premier League. Arsenal had that game in hand that they've been nurturing. And Liverpool had one of their two, actually. Klopp's side beating Wolves 2-0. But Arsenal 4-0 winners at home to Everton. Joining us now, Adrian Clark. Adrian. Hello, everybody. Feels good, I've got to say. Yeah, it was a little bit of pressure on the game, wasn't there? Because this game in hand has just been there forever. It, it, it's just been sitting there and, and everybody knew it was Everton. It was a gimme when it was Frank Lampard's Everton. But but Sean Dyche has been awkward, hasn't he, for Arsenal to, to beat in recent times. So, yeah, really, really pleasing win. I mean, for 40 minutes, it wasn't great, but the rest was fantastic. Well, it was Saka who broke the deadlock with a magnificently placed shot. Zinchenko again. Saka, magnificent finish. It's taken them 40 minutes, but Arsenal make the breakthrough. Great little ball at Saka, a super finish. But look, shouldn't be sitting in, in between defenders like that. They've really been touched by it. First time they're not. Good couple of touches to get it out of his reach from Saka, and a great finish into the top of the net. Super finish to put the Gunners one up. Look, he's a man for the for the big moment, isn't he? That's what I love about Bakayo Saka. Young players are supposed to be really erratic and inconsistent, especially when they're in pressure situations. They're supposed to sort of learn over a period of time how to make the right calls in the heat of the moment. But Bakayo, ever since he burst onto the scene in the first team, just keeps making the right decisions at key moments, whether it's the final pass, whether it's... Uh, the shot, the type of shot he needs to make, whether it's a through ball or a cross, he just seems to nail it more often than any other young player that I can remember. So, yeah, it was the right type of shot to beat Jordan Pickford. Just lashed it, didn't he, into that near top corner. And that just kind of broke Everton's hearts a little bit because they'd been okay up until that point. But, yeah, from that sack of goal on, it was all Arsenal. Mm. Martinelli got another one before half-time after... Gay had given the ball away. I'm not sure if he thought the whistle was going to blow or something, but uh, he was robbed just outside his own area and uh, Martinelli had converted. And then, and then it was all Arsenal, as you say. Yeah, but it was Saka that instigated that, that second goal as well. He was the one that went and closed down the Everton man, just towed it through to Martinelli. He just about stayed onside and it was a nice, tidy finish. And then, yeah, in the second half, it, yeah, it was wave after wave of attacks, really. Um, great to see all of Arsenal's forward line contribute, either a goal or an assist. Um, Trossard with a great assist, I've got to say, for, for the third goal for, for Erdegaard. He sort of spun down the side and, and played with his head up and, and pulled a beautiful cutback for Erdegaard to score. And then, and then Martinelli taps in at the near post from Anketia, who mm. came off the bench to deliver. So the starting front three... All got a goal or an assist. The sub striker got an assist as well. So uh, an Erdegaard who plays in, be- in behind got, got himself a goal. So yeah, I think yeah, it was a win that ticked a lot of boxes. Well, it certainly sounds like it. You've got 13 games left. You're five points clear. The next four matches are Bournemouth, Fulham, Palace and Leeds. <laughs> got to take maximum points, really. I think what, what this five-point advantage does is that it gives Manchester City less room for manoeuvre. That margin for error now has shrunk, hasn't it? So they will now feel we can't lose maybe more than one game. So as long as Arsenal keep churning out the the wins, and Mm. you look at that fixture list and you you make them heavy favourites for every single game, then it just cranks up the pressure 
on City, but uh, no one's getting ahead of themselves at Arsenal. It's no one wants to tempt fate. Sort of everyone's trying to keep their feet on the ground, but it's a it's an exciting time, I've got to say. And uh, the the mood inside Emirates Stadium last night was just kind of ridiculous. It's it's just so loud at the, the moment. The atmosphere sounds amazing at the moment. Yeah, so loud. I mean, in the past, the whole library shout had justification at times, but now it's it's really noisy and. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just a fun place to be. Just on the subject of the atmosphere at the Emirates, Amy Lawrence was embedded with the Ashburton Army, who are those hardcore black t-shirted lot who've been pivotal, I think, to the kind of uptick in the vibe mm. at the Emirates. And that's uh, you can hear the results of that, quite the combination, Amy and the Ashburton Army. Uh, that's uh, in a special edition of Handbreak Off Podcast. Mm. A quick word on Everton, Adrian. Uh, Jordan Pickford, I read, attempted more passes than any other Everton player tonight. Does that say a little bit about how how their game went? <laughs> yeah, they didn't have a lot of the ball. Bless them, Everton. I, I've got to say, for the first 35, 40 minutes, the structure of the team was excellent and their midfield was pretty brilliant in terms of the way that they sort of um, shackled Arsenal and just protected the back four. And when they won the ball, they sprinted up the pitch at real pace on three, four, five occasions. They looked quite a dangerous counter-attacking side, but but the, men, the, the mentality kind of went. Once they went one and two nil down, I think there was zero belief in the team. So, And again, just nothing up front. Mm. I mean, Neil, Neil Mopé... He's not popular with Arsenal fans going back uh, many years now. He's been a, a, a constant irritant and he just didn't have a sniff. And, and Arsenal fans let him know about that when he when he got the hook pretty early on in the second half. <laughs> mm. uh, Everton's approach. Uh, when Deitch came in, I think a lot of people thought that was a brilliant appointment because that's going to keep him up. But it does come back to me now that Burnley were kind of going down playing this football <laughs> la- last season. They're, they're one point, the Toffees, off the bottom. They're one point off safety as well, but both the two teams above them, West Ham and Leeds, and the two teams below them, Bournemouth and Saints, they all have a game in hand on Everton. So, hmm. It's a, as we keep saying, it's a tremendous relegation battle, unless, I guess, you support one of the teams involved. I mean, mm. it feels like Deitch is... Be like a chef that's coming to a restaurant with no ingredients. He, you know, they could have given him a transfer window if they'd acted a bit sooner, and he didn't really get that. So, yeah, he's with. He's got no one up front. They need to get Calvert Lewin fit, which is a big ask. But if they can do that, they've got a chance. But if they don't, then bye bye. It's like he's coming to a restaurant where some of his old ingredients were. But just not enough of them. Some, yeah, you've got a bit of like Tarkovsky sauce. Got some saffron, bit of grated spring meal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they out of date ingredients though? Well, that's another question. Well, McNeil had well, a good shot, didn't he? Probably, probably Everton's best. Mm. But like a fine meal, they they might go down easily. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, Adrian, that's magnificent. So you're full of beans and all's good and confident ahead of Bournemouth. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, look, really looking forward to every Arsenal match at the moment. But uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be a bump or two in a row. But yeah, last night was a good one. Obviously, Jorginho kept his place last night. Is he? And uh, you know, I thought Trossard and him have both played well recently. And I think neither of those players probably excited the fan base that much during the transfer window. But it's in classic football style. It's, you know, they could actually turn out to be the most important signings. And you look at some of the some of the bigger names that got signed in January, and maybe they haven't settled in elsewhere. So is that is that fair? Is Jorginho now getting popular? De- no, definitely. Yeah. No, I think you make good a good point. They were Plan B weren't they? But but excellent choices of plan B. And they're good for the here and now. Premier League experience. They haven't needed any time to settle in. Trossard's been great. Um, obviously, scoring goals, making goals, playing up front, uh, offering sort of different angles. I think Martinelli likes to play with a really mobile centre-forward that will sort of interchange positions with him um, rather than someone that stays down the middle and and Trossard's done that in the last couple of games. And lo and behold, Martinelli scored three goals. Uh, and Jorginho's been excellent. Although, in this match, he wasn't at his best. I don't know if he was under the weather, but he came off at half-time. He hadn't had the best 45. And Thomas Partey came on. He's fit again now. And I've got to say, Thomas Partey was superb and Arsenal were, were much improved. But, but Jorginho, over the last two or three games, has been excellent. But I, I do now think Thomas... 
Partey will sort of resume his normal role at the base of that midfield. All right. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today and we'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. Excellent. As for Man City, they host, as I mentioned, Newcastle Saturday lunchtime. 3-0 winners midweek City at Bristol City. We're hearing about Bukayo Saka, very much the hot young English talent. What about that Phil Foden who's been a little bit in the shadows for much of this season, but now his feet are working properly again, he says. Yeah, he's had some ankle injuries um, post-World Cup. And he said after the game at, at Bristol City that he's now able to play without pain for the first time. And it showed. I mean, he was he was everywhere. I mean, scored one and a half goals. I think one of them should have possibly been an own goal. Um, yeah, it just looked great. Created four chances, was everywhere, was flying into tackles. He just looked like the, the Phil Foden from a, a couple of years ago. And I think, you know, it's a cliche about like a new signing but I think he we saw it against Bournemouth at the weekend as well he I think injecting him into the him and Alvarez into City's sort of front line does speed things up a bit and I know that Guardiola has, has really liked the sort of grealish Mares partnership on the wings very, in terms of control but I think Alvarez and Foden are a bit more exciting and it's you know they've got that that variety lovely stuff lovely stuff now also in action midweek were Liverpool as mentioned and they've got a huge game coming up at the weekend at home to Manchester United. So let's talk about that. Kiva, so a 2-0 victory over Wolves. Andre B asks, Liverpool beating Wolves finally, do you see signs of resurgence or are they simply limping towards the end of season? I think it is resurgence mm. more so. I think, you know, the, the win over Everton and Newcastle was obviously halted the mood when, you know, they went, racing into a 2-0 lead again and Real Madrid just did what Real Madrid do and pulled them back and obviously won the game in, you know, an extreme fashion, 5-2 and, you know, that kind of dampened things. But then, you know, Liverpool had the chance to go to Palace and win, but probably that was one of the most boring games I've ever watched. Like, I hope you didn't watch it because you do not get that time back. Um, and then, obviously, Liverpool play Wolves, which I didn't get to watch because I was at the better game on Merseyside last night. But yeah, Liverpool looking more comfortable. I think some key changes last night uh, from Klopp to take Robertson out, replace him with Costas Simakas. I think that helped. He got an assist later in the game for Salah after Van Dijk had scored. I think Nunes scored, but I couldn't quite work out. It was ruled out for some something or other. I think Diogo Jota looked to be brought down, but I couldn't, couldn't yeah, figure so it Jota, out. Yeah, so Jota's gone on an amazing run and, and his return is... I, I, you did a, a lovely piece about reasons to be optimistic uh, for Liverpool fans uh, earlier this week. It was a tremendous public service. And, and I think Jota's return is a, a key point in, in that. He goes on this wonderful run past three or four uh, Wolves players. Man. Jinking, thank you so much. In the act of being fouled, he is then kind of knocked into another Wolves defender, which bizarrely is then ruled a foul by Jota, which is why Nunez's goal wasn't allowed to stand. That was... This was at nil-nil, so kind of a key moment. But Liverpool didn't lose heart and came back with a, a, a couple of goals. Remind me, who scored the first? Salah got the second, didn't he? Van Dijk. Uh, Van Dijk, yeah, which is... And how he Jossa, celebrated. Like a tackle. He celebrated it like a last-ditch tackle. Well, we haven't seen many goals from Van Dijk, actually, and his goals are pretty pivotal to Liverpool. Nice to see, obviously, Ibrahim Canate get back as well because that's, I think, the pairing that Liverpool need at centre-half because it just is solid basically they need that sort of ground and i think what was important is jota gets another game really because i think he you know by all accounts looked a lot better but there's this really strange stat with jota that he hasn't scored in like almost a year so he hasn't scored for i think 26 games now and 13 of those have been starts which seems just baffling and bizarre given how you know fundamentally important he is to Liverpool and was last season and as soon as he joined from Wolves he pretty just you know took off didn't he and his goal record was just you know felt like it was gonna go towards the levels of Salah and obviously he's been a bit unlucky with injuries been out for such a long time now I think goals would be the key thing for him but his performances are almost so important in other ways I think his press and is Liverpool have missed that a lot just attackers 
pressing the ball a bit quicker. I think he does that. And obviously he gets an assist last night. I think there's 10 assists in those games. So, you know, he's being more, more of a provider and a creator at the moment. I'd like to see him, I think, get on the score sheet a bit more because you just this Liverpool team are down on goals, really. They need more goals. Obviously, two last night is helpful to their cause. Mm. The comeback, Kiva, Liverpool now sixth with that victory. Six points behind Spurs, who they still have a game in hand on. And also Spurs are Spurs. You've got Newcastle between those two teams. They've got two games in hand. You make the point that two years ago, a depleted Liverpool squad pulled off a very similar comeback to reach the Champions League positions. I think it was... I can't even remember how many points it was, but it was well, ridiculous. They, according to your article, they got 26 points from the last 30 on offer. There we go. Yeah. So, Alisson, that goal, mm. we all remember that. Probably the greatest moment of that season for Liverpool. Liverpool just somehow got there with, I remember, obviously, we talk about Canate and Van Dijk at centre-back and how brilliant that is to see back. But, you know, Liverpool had Reese williams and, and Nat Phillips on the last day, bandaged up, sort of getting Liverpool over the line to top four, which was vital because Liverpool then went on to play in, in another Champions League final. When you think back to those moments, you know, and how key they were. So I just think there's something about Liverpool right now that, that you know, the form is sort of upturned. That Palace draw, had it been a defeat or something, I think, you know, maybe we'd be a bit worried about them going forward. But I just think, you know, they're set up perfectly now for this Man United game on Sunday. Mm. But unfortunately, so Man United. So Man United, yeah. Last season, this game finished 4-0 to Liverpool. That was against Ralph Rangnick's Man United. Slightly different outfit, do you think, Jack? Certainly, yeah. And I think this is the return leg of a game that was really um, fundamental in... Eric Ten Hag's kind of turnaround process. It was first Premier League win for him, uh, 2-1 at Old Trafford, dropping Maguire, dropping Cristiano Ronaldo, ditching the the old wood. and The old ingredients. Yeah, Bring indeed. in some fresh herbs. Yeah, and mm. you know, playing a very fluid front three of Rashford, Sancho, Elanga. Obviously, we've gone back a bit to the, the stolid stuff with, with Veghorst, but that was, you know, a moment when he stamped his mark on United. And obviously, you know, there seems to be a, a kind of snowball effect at the moment. So when they scored against West Ham, when they equalised, there was an, an inevitability about them scoring a second or third in that kind of very, uh, you know, Ferguson-era Man United. Oh, here we go again. And that is such a good thing for a, a team to have. Uh, it really... You know, the atmosphere we spoke about, the Arsenal atmosphere, appears to be really similar at Old Trafford. And, yeah, looking up for them. Mm. I imagine the atmosphere would be pretty good at Anfield, though, on Sunday afternoon, Kiva, for this one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was much better last night. At times this season, it hasn't been great. Obviously, when, you know, the team aren't performing well, it can sort of quieten the crowd a little bit. And obviously, I think we sort of, you, you heard that at the, the Real Madrid game. It was so, Liverpool fans were so up for it. And then, you know, Madrid do what they do and it sort of quietens everything down. So I think it was pretty good for against Everton for the derby. So you'd imagine it would be a similar sort of energy given, you know, it's a... A big old rivalry, isn't it? And Liverpool really need to win this game because you, you look at the table and, you know, Man United could go 13 points ahead with the win of Liverpool or Liverpool could go within seven points, I think it is. So that's, Ooh. you know, pretty nice sort of uh, way to end the weekend, I'd say. Mm, excellent. Final game on Sunday, that will be at Anfield. Not the final game of this Premier League round, though, because on Monday... There's an intriguing battle in West London as Brentford and Fulham take on each other. And what are we talking about? The remarkable cottagers. Lots of love out there for Brentford, but we'll be saluting Marcus Silva's Fulham next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
and Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Follow on Monday night, Derby against fellow top seven chasers, Brentford. Let's have some Fulham love. We've got the Athletics Fulham correspondent in for that very purpose, Peter Rutzler. Hello, Peter. Hello, James. Hello. What a season for the Cottagers. Seventh now. Liverpool just gone above the midweek. 90 minutes from Wembley. Uh, and in their first quarterfinal in the FA Cup since 2010. Yeah, it's been quite something. Um, well beyond any expectations, I think. I think any Fulham fan would have bitten your hand off for 17th. That's literally what anyone would have wanted, considering the yo-yo years and up and down and that lack of sort of top-flight stability. But mm. this season has been uh, quite extraordinary, and it's you know it's all really down to, to Marco Silva and the impact he's had both in the Championship and now in the Premier League as well. They, their previous uh, promotion seasons have given us that term, doing a Fulham, at least mm. I think it was them. Why is this one different? The coach is the starting point. You know, he's come in with a clear style of play that suits the players that Fulham initially had. Um, he's improved individual players, the likes of Tim Ream, who I think has played every single league game under Silver. Alexander Mitrovic is the obvious one. But you can go through a lot of these players that may have been at Fulham for some time and never really shown what they could do in the Premier League and they're now doing that. Add in some very good recruitment players that would work with what Silva wants to do in his tactical system. You've got a, uh, the, the ideal recipe to bridge what is quite a huge gap now between the Championship and the Premier League. And you look at the impact that João Palinha has had in midfield. Mm. Andreas Pereira has come in and filled another hole. You know, Fulham lost Fabio Carvalho, who's gone to Liverpool and I know he's not been involved so much there, but he was massively important for what they did in the championship. And it's just those right additions. It's a Diop at the back. Bernd Leno's been enormous. And when you get so many hits rather than misses, mm. that can be the difference. And, you know, previously Fulham have recruited some good players. You know, Andre Frankenghis is now at Napoli and <laughs> competes for the Champions League. Ad right. Adamola Lookman's, you know, third top scorer in Serie A, I think now. These are players that they've brought in and they've they've not made it work. They've not Connect, brought that synergy between coach and player mm. whereas here Silva's got a good amount of influence works very well with those upstairs um, and it's just come together in a, in a really positive way the atmosphere is very positive the players are confident and uh, yeah, it's just it just keeps going on and on and on when you think it's going to stop they just keep picking up results incredible the other signing we should mention is because Mana Solomon mm -hmm. who midweek scored that goal again People say it's a kind of a little bit Robin-esque. I, I was kind of reminded of because you you mentioned uh, calling it the zona, the the, the Solomon zone. Yeah. But <laughs> in Italy, they used to speak about the zona del Piero because he used to come in mm. on the left hand side of the box and just curl one in from there, which is very much what what Solomon's doing. What what a player to have pop up at at a time when it looked a little bit like Fulham might be running out of steam a bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you know performance wise, Fulham have dropped off a little bit. They're still sort of picking up the results, but. Manuel Solomon's now come back, come in and uh, and really begun to, to make his mark, um, stepping in off that left flank. Almost um, almost cautious to, to, to give it too many labels. You know, we've had Ian Robin, Del Piero, maybe Eden Hazard in terms of his low centre of gravity as well. And Prince was one we had on, on Monday. Prince Rogers Nelson off the cover of Controversy. Yeah, check it out. But anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Solomon's had a really difficult start to his Premier League life I mean 2022 for him was extraordinarily difficult playing for Shakhtar Donetsk and obviously fleeing the war after Russia's invasion a long and protracted transfer saga to get him to Fulham and then after his debut from the bench against Liverpool the next day in a behind closed doors friendly injured his knee and was out for, for four months 
So, you know, he's only at Fulham for a year. He wants to make his mark in the Premier League. So he's had to wait. He's had to be, had to be very patient. Uh, I think the World Cup may have helped him just in that rehabilitation and, mm. and adapting to Silver style. And he's, yeah, he's come in with some uh, very, very impressive cameos from the bench. There's four goals in a row now. Um, the clamour for his first Premier League start, you know, we're talking about him in this sort of vein of form and he hasn't started yet for Fulham in the Premier League. Um, that feels like a matter of time, but again, <laughs> William's been doing really well, so it's been hard to take his place in the team. Mm. Uh, but for Fulham, it's a massive boost. It's like a new signing, really, from January. Any chance of him sticking around after the summer? I think he will, but it's not a it's not a given. You know, by all accounts, he's very happy at Fulham. Um, he feels settled. It's a nice part of London. I think the project that Fulham have got going is very appealing. And, and of course, when the team are doing so well, that you know that only adds to to that sentiment. Um, but it's it's an open question. You know, Fulham signed him because he suspended his contract for a year at Shakhtar Donetsk. It's essentially a loan. He'll go back to Shakhtar where he has six months left on his contract as things stand. They could sign him on a pre-contract agreement. But if they did that, he would then play for Shakhtar between the summer and, and January next year. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he will want to go back. But then Fulham would then have to negotiate a fee with Shakhtar. And there's, you know, the war is still ongoing as well. And um, the big question around this whole transfer was, was to do with FIFA regulations. And we've seen that you know, Shakhtar have been left in a really difficult position by the fact that their foreign-based players could suspend their contracts for a year. Basically running down the value on those contracts meaning they can't get much money at all. You know, Fulham had agreed a fee really for Solomon um, initially before FIFA made those stipulations mm. uh, about players being able to suspend their contracts and ultimately they got him for free instead. Well, yet another goal, as we mentioned, in the 2-0 victory over Leeds on Tuesday. Tremendous excitement then, to reach the quarterfinal again until the draw happened. <laughs> yes, a load of excitement, especially with the draw so open, you know, four Premier League teams in the last eight, and then you draw Manchester United away, and Manchester <laughs> United in really good form. So, yeah, it's tempered though, that excitement uh, about returning to Wembley. You know, Fulham fans have some really great memories of, of Wembley in recent years, but in the playoffs in the championship, mm. to do so in a major tournament would be something altogether different. You know, the club have never won a major trophy. They've reached the final in 75, I think. There was a lot of excitement, but you know anything's possible. I think Man United have a Europa League game away in in Batiste a couple Ooh. of days before, right? So maybe that will help. But you know, Fulham have been competitive in all the games that they've played this year. Their record against the the so the, the top six at the moment hasn't been as good. I think they've lost just once to teams below them in the table, and that was away at West Ham. So um, if they can maintain that kind of form and. Maybe bloody the nose of Man United, Andreas Pereira going back there. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows indeed? I did say a stat last week that since the World Cup, only Man United had accrued more points in the Premier League than Fulham, which speaks volumes. Crikey. Uh, well, uh, before any of that, on Monday, it's Brentford. Is that away? It is, mm. yes. Uh, is out for that. Sasha Lukic, another of the new arrivals, mm -hmm. coming in. Yeah, so Lukic is, is coming from Torino. They needed a bit more depth in midfield because they've been very reliant on trio that have done incredibly well which is Palina, Harrison Reed alongside him he sort of got a new role actually and Silva sort of evolved his game to be more box to box and just a just a six and then Andreas Pereira as well um, but if one of them is injured they can struggle and uh, the last time Fulham were without Palina, they lost 4-1 to Newcastle and it didn't end so well so Lukic has been brought in for that I do wonder if this game they, has come a little too soon or that they would have liked more time to sort of bed him in a bit, get him up to, to Premier League speed. But he, he comes with good good pedigree at, at Torino. Um, did very well at the World Cup as well for Serbia. Mm. So it looks like another shrewd addition and not a huge outlay on him. About All right. And Mitrich pounds. came back as well midweek, didn't he? Yes, so. that's right. Yeah, mm, Big boost. Excellent. All right, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to hearing more of uh, the Cottagers' escapades uh, from you soon. Yeah, No problem. Thank you for having me. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Peter Rutzler. Also this weekend in the Premier League, well, Man City are playing Newcastle at lunchtime Saturday. At three o'clock on Saturday, you've got Chelsea Leeds, Arsenal Bournemouth, Villa Palace, Brighton West Ham and Wolves Tottenham. At tea time, one of two key games down the bottom as Southampton host Leicester. Uh, the other one coming on Sunday as Forest take on Everton. After which you've got your Liverpool Man United and then, yes, Brentford, Fulham. Ooh. Everyone got quite excited when I said Chelsea leads there, Kiva. 
Yeah, it's the one game, I think, other than Liverpool-United that sort of stands out this weekend that could sort of have a bit of fireworks. It's a shame that it's, a, I think, is it Saturday, 3 o'clock kickoff, is, so yeah. won't be televised in, in this old country, but uh, I think it will be should be a good game. I mean, Chelsea are just in complete freefall at the moment, aren't they? I didn't quite expect it to be this bad for them, but they just, I mean, they just don't look great and they're losing games. A lot more games than anyone expected. Graham Potter just not having a fun time, is he? Which is, you know, when you think back and picture him in his turtleneck jumper and, you know, his blazer and he was looking great when he, he doing the job and the stress now is just through the roof, isn't it? I think he's he's pretty calm, isn't he? But it's just, I'm not really sure what's, what's the way out for Chelsea at the minute. I mean, a win against Leeds would do that, but Leeds sort of can bounce back in these games. And I think they beat Chelsea quite convincingly earlier mm. in the season. So I think maybe they'll look to that. One of the games which kind of nudged Thomas Tuchel towards mm. the edge it was a couple of weeks before he got the push. They lost 3-0 at Ellen Road. Yeah. Um, how, how Leeds could do with a 3-0 victory now, Duncan? Well, they ha- it's interesting. They haven't done a, a league double over Chelsea since 91-92, which is obviously the last season before the Premier League. Um, it's also the, the season Leeds won the league. And they did so... Um, under an English manager, Howard Wilkinson, which hasn't happened since. And obviously, I think a lot of people thought Graham Potter going to Chelsea might be the next time that an Englishman could lead a, lead a club to the title. But um, as Keeve was saying, I think, I think this week with this game and then the, the Champions League match against Dortmund, it's pretty pivotal for, for Graham Potter. I mean, they've, Chelsea have scored as many Premier League goals in 2023 as Solly March, and it's literally March. So... They just—I mean, their defense is okay, although they've obviously lost Thiago Silva now. But they just can't get any rhythm. It's almost like buying a, a trillion players and trying to blend them into a team. Doesn't with a manager who's only come in himself midway through the season. Yeah, yeah. But who would do that? Uh, one win in their last eleven in all competitions. Chelsea—they've lost their last three to Dortmund, Saints, and Tottenham. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but Chelsea kind of need two or three wins to be safe from relegation. And at the moment. They're 10 points, <coughs> sorry, off the bottom three and 14 off the top four. Yeah, but if you look at their their points total, right. if they didn't get any more points this season, which is unlikely, obviously, but they, they would mean. be plunged right into it. But but at the moment, where where are those points coming from? And and Leeds have looked good under Javi Garcia. And, you know, I spoke to some Leeds fans at the Fulham Cup game midweek and they said, yeah, they lost, but they had loads of shots. They looked pretty good and, and they, you know, they're, they're feeling confident. Yeah, they had a goal ruled out for literally nothing early on uh, also hit the post and they they just look reassuringly normal mm. like players are kind of in <laughs> positions that you w- would want players in and yeah they I mean they were a little bit unlucky to lose to Fulham and I think they yeah they are Javi Gracia I think is, is a really solid manager and also an incredibly nice man probably the nicest football manager really I've ever met yeah what, what was so nice about him uh, I used to I used to do a few games uh, when he was at Watford, mm. and just the time he made for every journalist, and was just ultra ultra polite and generous, and yeah, just a really sound guy. Okay, uh, Kiva, who's been the nicest manager you've had dealings with? Klopp, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp. No, I don't, uh... what do you make of Jurgen Klopp? Do you, do, how how highly does he rate on you for niceness factor? Yeah, I think he's someone who's very aligned with the people of Liverpool, which, you know, made him such a, a great choice to start with. So he's he's come in and, and been sort of like a leader in a lot of different ways. Like he's a manager of the team, but, you know, in times that are hard or different things happen in society, he'll comment on them. And it usually aligns with what the people of Liverpool are thinking, which I think is very Shankly-esque, sort of, you know, that kind of taking on a, a bigger role than just being the manager. It's being like someone people look to in, in times of, of difficulty and, and to they look to them to sort of, you know, help bring a smile, which, you know, I think he has for for the, the red off of Merseyside anyway. That brings us back to Potter, right? Because Chelsea's not the same as Liverpool hmm. in that, you know, Liverpool, there is this kind of spe- statesman hmm. status that a, a manager has to have. Chelsea is not really anywhere near that level but in terms of being a big club a lot of it is just you know it's it's performance art and yeah I think Potter 
may be learning that the hard way. I, right. it'll, be, it'll be interesting. He's to not see. A, la- a larger than life character in the same way that Klopp is. That's right. And it, it, it would be interesting to see, like looking way into the future, if if this doesn't end up well, if Klopp, mm. if Potter does end up taking a second job at a big club. I wonder. I wonder if that is something he can work into his career. Get in his time. teeth whitened. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, in in the meantime, if you want to know the nicest manager I've met, yes. I just go and listen to last week's episode. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Martin O'Neill. Has you have you been in touch since? Not since, but um, you know, uh, yeah, I've, look, I've flicked through his book again. Oh, yeah, very very fine book, isn't mm. it, Duncan? Yes. On days like these. Magnificent. All right. Well, uh, key games down the bottom, as I mentioned, Nottingham Forest against Everton and Saints hosting Leicester. Is this Brendan Rodgers' worst managerial season like ever? They're three points above the bottom three and they got knocked out of the cup by Blackburn and they can't do anything if James Madison's not available. Kiva, what do you make of uh, Brendan? It's been interesting, hasn't it? Because I thought Leicester City were all right again. They sort of got out of that weird dip at the start of the season. When James Madison came back, yeah. Yeah, and then they, they now seem to be just sort of, the season seems to be petering out again, which, you know, isn't just after the middle of the season, not the best time for it to happen. So it is probably quite worrying for them where they are in the league because, the, you know, they're, they're in the relegation battle here where it felt like not long ago they kind of like, you know, would escape that a bit because they would, you know, the team that were at the bottom for so long managed to get out of there. Losing to Blackburn in the cup, I think, just adds that sort of feeling of, okay, things aren't quite going well here. Even though Blackburn, I think, by all accounts, were pretty good in that game and have been flying in the championship, it just it's a diff- it's a difficult one for for Brendan Rodgers, isn't it? it? After you know he's had success there, he won the FA Cup, now knocked out of it, and in a relegation battle. Can Leicester escape it? You'd imagine they've got enough quality too, but you're not seeing too much from them to suggest that they're going to uh, run right out of there. Mm. Although uh, there may also be three worst teams in them from a, a wide list of candidates. It's a strange one with Leicester because obviously Rogers changed the team a lot for the Blackburn Cup game um, and it backfired massively. They were really bad. I mean, Blackburn were, just took them to pieces. But... Is it worth it? Like, you know, the fatigue that his first thing would have picked up from that game, but if, if they'd have won that match, I think that was probably as beneficial mm. as the rest that they've theoretically got this week. Now, they're going away to Southampton, who are a team who also went out the cup to uh, a lower league team, a much lower league team this week. But, yeah, this does have... I mean, obviously, this, you know, we bring it up a lot. It was the 9-0 a few years ago. Of course. But... Um, we, I, n- we nearly didn't get that in. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll never let that go. Um, I don't think Leicester are going to score nine in this one. I don't think Southampton are. But it is, you know, the two teams that are essentially reliant on players scoring long-range goals. James Will-Prowse against James Madison. Both called James. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think Leicester probably will have enough to stay up and, and Southampton probably won't. But mm. the I imagine the vibes at this game could be pretty bleak. Deary me. Brighton up against West Ham. Wolves against Spurs, which could have a certain bleakness to it as well. They're all at uh, three o'clock on Saturday, as is Villa against Crystal Palace. Palace was still winless this year, but they did get, did get that point in the tremendously exciting clash with Liverpool last weekend. Best game of the season. Best game of the season. Lawrence de Graff says, please ask the pod to discuss the Copa Sudamericana. Ecuadorian minnow Independiente del Valle beat Brazilian chance Flamengo. What, Jack? Yeah, that's that's the Recopa, which is the oh the Recopa. Yeah, it's essentially I that was a the, misprint. No, it's the kind of uh, equivalent of the European Super Cup. So it's okay. the last season's Libertadores winners against last season's uh, Copa Sudamericana winners. And yeah, Independiente, Independiente is a really interesting story. I interviewed uh, the guy who was their manager about two years ago a Spanish guy called Miguel Angel Ramirez uh, it's kind of this big project club they're most famous here for producing Moises Caicedo uh, I, I don't think he'll be the last off their production line they've kind of really professionalized uh, Ecuadorian football to some extent and there are links also you know less exciting you know less excitingly with the Aspire Academy in Qatar mm. um, but yeah it's a uh, Fantastic win for them. It's, I mean, they've won three major South American 
trophies, I think, in the last six years now. Uh, they won the Sudamericana twice. They got to the final of the Libertadores, which is arguably an even bigger achievement. So this isn't just a, a freak occurrence. It's kind of a, yeah, a very impressive sequence of results. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Duncan, you were also excited by some international cup action midweek. Yeah, um, Annecy managed to knock out, go away to Marseille, to the Velodrome, um, and knock them out of the French Cup in the quarterfinals. Good Lord. What what uh, tier of French football are Annecy? So, Annecy, are in the second tier, they got promoted okay. into that. They started quite slowly this season. Um, I was there on holiday, actually, so I went to their ground to have a look around last okay. summer. They're basically one of those classic multi-purpose I think they play rugby football and it's got an athletics track as well nice. Malcolm Christie won the 100 metres j- juniors or something back. oh that Annecy mm. anyway they they started slowly in the second tier but of, of, they're now mid-table they're not actually that far off the off the you know top six which is good but yeah this is a huge result for them they led um, Marseille got a late equaliser but then it went to penalties and they uh, they won on penalties so it's a, a big result I think it's the first time since the early 2000s that Marseille have gone out at home to a lower league team so yeah see what they can is do. there anything better by the way than going on holiday and just seeking out football stadiums no it's absolutely great isn't it where, so, on, okay, but where, where have you been to that's that's I mean, memory. I'm just pointing at stadiums from trains all the time, but right. I think post-lockdown, I haven't really been on many holidays, so I can't really remember the last time it happened for me. So I'm, I'm off for two weeks after this weekend, so I think I'm going to get on a last-minute holiday. Is there anywhere you would recommend? Where's the best, the best place to stadium spot? You could go to uh, Cremona, the Giovanni Zini Stadium, because it would help my next... A little bit in this show. <laughs> and Cremona's uh, well, a very nice place. Featured in the film Call Me By Your Name, of course. Mm. Uh, Cremona, who you may recall, were the last side from a major European league yet to win a game this season. This Tuesday, uh, bottom of the table, of course, uh, they went to Roma, who were looking to go second in the table, joint second, and beat them. They beat them 2-1. And Jose Mourinho got sent off for the third time this season. He's been sent off more than any player or coach in in Serie A in this campaign. Certain amount of controversy after this, which is overshadowed, you'll be amazed to hear, (laughs) Roma's dismal performance. Uh, Jose, who basically accused the fourth official with whom he he was having an altercation just after half-time. There was a bit of to and fro. The referee comes over and shows him a red. And Jose afterwards, well, Jose at the time said, no, you send him off, pointing at the fourth official. So according to the Gazetta, the, the fourth official might have said to him, uh, mind your own f- business when <laughs> Jose came to complain about a decision, obviously. And, and then after he got the red, the fourth official said, everyone's, it's hard to translate, translate this, ti prendono tutti per il culo. Everyone's basically, you know, giving you a kick up the arse, go home. And uh, Mourinho says he's, he's not sure if he can take legal action against the fourth official. He says, I don't want to get into the fact that the referee is from Turin mm. and we're playing Juventus this weekend. But, you know, he doesn't want to get into that. There at all, it is. It? So we Just... won't. We won't. Jack. Yeah, it brought me back to one of the great Mourinho quotes. Early 2020, I was in the room. Uh, it was when he was managing Spurs against Southampton and he got into a discussion with one of Southampton's backroom staff and then it was asked about it in the press room afterwards and he said uh, I'm sorry the yellow card was fair because I was rude but I was rude to an idiot <laughs> <laughs> if I speak <laughs> exactly exactly there you go well, Cremonese win their first City A match in 27 years because they've only just come back to the top flight and Roma stay outside the Champions League positions and they will face Juventus Sunday evening Unlike uh, many top-flight games, you can watch it live on British television, by the way. BT Sport, is that? BT Sport mm. from 7 o'clock with all the goals. And then one of the key matches, Juve, uh, Roma-Juve. But that'll be without Jose, Jose Mourinho. Will he be in a, a laundry basket somewhere? I would, I would hope so. Mm. I would hope so. By the way, Duncan, just before you ask me how Juventus got on midweek, because they were also in action, Tuesday night they played Torino in the Turin derby. 4-2 winners they were. They came from behind twice. Paul Pogba got his first minute since his return to Turin. And we're in March. 
Uh, Juventus are now 10 points off the top four. Talk about Liverpool's comeback chances. That's after having that 15-point penalty, which yesterday they, they finally lodged their appeal against. But uh, 10 points aren't... Get a win on Sunday. Yeah. And it could be on. Some handicap, isn't it? 15-point handicap and still make it would be yeah. impressive. Speak volumes about the teams who are currently in the top <laughs> four, of course. Anyway, uh, well, there you go. That's one of the treats coming up this weekend. And we've talked about one or two of the other ones. And on Monday, we will return to review everything that has happened. For now, that brings us to the end of this Totally Football show. So many, many thanks to Kiva, to Duncan and to Jack, you listener, and to producer Jesse, who's actually going to go off and do things for other people now. We've got producer Charlie back on, on Monday. So, uh, well, many thanks to him. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. And we'll catch up with you after. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.